this is Beth. And this is Jeff. And this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Today, we're continuing our series on the Enneagram and the Gospel. Today, we have interviews with Jamie Ivey, a Type 6, and Allie Worthington, a Type 7. We're excited for you to hear how the Gospel message for each of their Enneagram's types is transforming their lives. We'll start today's episode with Jamie Ivey. Jamie's a podcaster, author, speaker from Austin, Texas. She and her husband, Aaron, are parents to four kids, three of them being teenagers, so they're primarily Uber drivers. Uh, Jamie loves to encourage women to love Jesus with all their heart, soul, and mind. She believes stories change the world and reveals this through her popular podcast, The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. She also shares her own story through her best-selling book, If You Only Knew, My Unlikely, Unavoidable Story of Becoming Free, and her newest book, You Be You, Why Satisfaction and Success Are Closer Than You Think. Jamie insists that living faithfully in the here and now is the key to the abundant life. Hey, Jamie, how are you doing? Hey, guys. I'm so glad to be here with you guys. Yeah, I, it's so fun watching you. So we're on Zoom for everyone else that knows that we're on Zoom and I'm looking at you in your office space that I had the great privilege of coming to do interview with you. Gosh, it seems like forever ago because that was pre-COVID time. Everything um, pre-COVID is forever ago. So it, Right. <laughs> so it's just fun seeing you in that space again and just kind of hanging out. Um, but yeah, so we wanted to interview you just to kind of take a deeper dive into a type six and their experiences and their life. So can you just tell us a little bit of your own personal journey and finding out that you are a type six? Yeah, I started hearing about the Enneagram a handful of years ago, um, probably through my podcast, um, interviewing some people who were speaking about the Enneagram. And so I, the, I, I read a book about it, of course, and took the test online, all the things. I remember Aaron and I actually, uh, I hadn't thought about this in a while. We were in Marfa, Texas on a little getaway. This had to have been four or five years ago. Did you say did Marfa? Marfa, yes. Like Have you heard of Marfa? Uh, like with the Marfa lights, those like yes. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. Just, just from goes Dallas there all the time. Okay, yeah. Aaron goes there all the time, and oh, we've been there a fun. handful of times on vacation. So we're there, and we do the test online, and it said that I was a two, and then sure. my second one was a six, and Aaron was a three, and I can't remember what else. And I remember thinking two things in that moment. Number one, I read the description of the two and I was like, this is a lie because this is not me. <laughs> and then the second thing I thought after I read the description of Aaron's, I thought, I want to be a three so bad. Like I mm. want to be in what I thought a three was, quote unquote, successful, in charge, like doing everything right, all those things, which threes, you know, they tend to have that appearance of that. And so... I didn't like what it said, but then I read about the six and I knew immediately uh, that that was how I felt. And, and they say, you know, you'll read about your number and sometimes you hate the worst things about it, but you're like, that is me. Um, and I had read, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you guys, I'd read that a lot of women, especially Christian women, especially women in the South will test as a two. Yep. Um, and so I knew immediately I was not a two because yeah. I do not have those things in me that it was saying, I would. but I resonated with the six so much and it has been, I say it's been a game changer for us in our marriage mm. for me to understand a little bit more about myself and for Aaron, my husband to understand more about me as well. 
Yeah. So like what, can you give others an example? Cause some yeah, people don't yeah. even know how that can be so beneficial. Oh, it's so beneficial. I think when Aaron started to read a little bit about, um, a six and that, that fear, that anxiety, that, um, the loyalty, the, the planning for the worst case, all of those things, he started to understand me a little bit more. And I'll tell you what was a game changer. I heard someone say one time that the worst thing you can say to a six, uh, is when they're telling you something they're afraid of, they have a fear of something. The worst thing you could say is that's so dumb. (laughs) And Aaron used to say that to me, not in like, not because he's a mean husband, because literally if I step outside of myself, a lot of times it is so dumb what I'm thinking, but it's so real to me. And so when he started changing his language to, wow, that does sound scary, or Mm. I can see why that would make you upset, or I can see why you'd be afraid of that, that changed so much in our relationship because I didn't feel uh, belittled. I didn't feel put down. I didn't feel misunderstood. Even if he doesn't understand, he's acting for a small moment like he cares and understands. And it was so good for us. Actually, I think I need to take some notes. <laughs> well, what's sad, I mean, it, it, even though we've known about the Enneagram for an, yeah. a, almost a couple of decades at this point, um, my kids and my wife will laugh at me and like you, you spent days thinking about what um, I, I, I recognize that it probably wasn't the most beneficial time for me to do that, but I didn't realize I was doing it. Right. But I think in hearing this, cause I think you've verbalized it in to some degree over the course of time, but the way she said it for some reason, it just like stood out because as a nine, I'm like, it's going to be fine. Why are you thinking about that? We'll get to that when it comes, if it, if it does come. Whereas what, yes. because a lot of times you'll say to me, I, I just want to know that you heard me. And I'm thinking, I am hearing you. I've got ears oh, right here. <laughs> now you're really getting into our marriage. I wasn't ready to go there. But <laughs> but it's like, I'm hearing you. What else do you want me to say? But that totally helps, Jamie, in the fact that, oh, that could be scary. Or I could see where you could go there. And it's well, funny because, like you said, we talk about this all the time. We work on our marriage all the time. But yes. you've been saying that actually more regularly. Well, a part of it is, uh, as I, so I was adopted, which has its own complicating factors playing into my sixness, which sometimes there's some people or Enneagram coaches who call it sickness. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> I I said, but, wait, are you saying sickness or sixness? So anyway, that's where that so, But I, I realize a, a few of the attachment things, uh, concepts are one, do you see me? Two, do you hear me? And three, mm-hmm. can you help me? And I've tried to help Beth and I to cultivate in that in our marriage that before we get into addressing the situation, we simply affirm yeah, and I the think, other person's feeling. I think you do that for me really well. I think I just wasn't fully putting all those pieces of the puzzle together. Because I'll be honest, and Jamie, maybe this is how your husband felt too, is like to say that's scary for a person that's not a six and to affirm that it could be scary feels really big. It feels, I think what he would say, and I don't want to speak for him, but I think that this is what he would say is he would say, well, I felt like if I said it was scary, then I was like jumping on your bandwagon or yeah. I was kind of feeding into yes. this fear that you might have. Yeah. And the truth is it wasn't feeding into it. It was just that like, oh, because for me, I think this is from a lot of growth as well. I'll have the craziest thought. Um, like maybe I'll have, I mean, I, I walk in my neighborhood almost every day. 
and and there's not one time I have spent on a relaxing walk in my neighborhood where I haven't imagined um, a, a deer attacking me, um, a car hitting me, um, a, mm-hmm. a raccoon going rabid and eating me. Like I'm, I'm, these things just happen. But mm-hmm. in my in my like maturity, maybe, or maybe because of Jesus, I don't know. I can literally have the thought. It comes in and it's gone. And so it's not, I don't, I don't walk around my neighborhood scared. I don't, I don't have to run home. I don't get anxious. I literally just imagine what it would be like to be attacked by a deer. And then I keep walking. Mm -hmm. And so Aaron's not actually feeding the fear. He's just acknowledging that I'm not crazy. And then I actually imagined a deer attacking me. Well, that's actually a really good, even just even saying that is helpful because most sixes that come to me for coaching will say, okay, I know I'm a six, but I need you to know that I think I'm crazy. Like Mm. that is the the language they use. Now ones will say, I think um, I'm the worst or I'm the most unhealthy one. I'm like, well, of course the inner critic is telling you that, you know, but sixes will come and say, I think I'm crazy. Well, they have an inner committee that is chiming in from all different perspectives. And so it's kind of like, well, what is right? You know, should, is it this way or is it that way? Could this happen? Could that, ha- you know, there's just so much going on that they do feel crazy, but they're not. They just have this inner committee. And so with that, let's transition actually into the core motivations of the six so that we can kind of paint a picture for sixes of what it's like to have at their core what's going on. So the core fear of the six is to fear, fear itself, being without support guidance and security, being blamed, targeted, alone, or physically abandoned. And what sixes are desiring is that they have security, guidance, and support. And that comes from because of their core weakness of anxiety. Now, all nine types can be anxious, but for the sixes, it's coming from this inner committee that they have inside. And the inner committee is constantly scanning the horizon to predict and prevent negative outcomes, especially worst case scenarios. And so this keeps them in a constant state of apprehension and worry. So what they're longing to hear is that you are safe and secure. So Jamie, you know, just hearing those core motivations, what kind of pops up into your mind as a six? Uh, my whole life pops into my <laughs> mind when you say that. <laughs> you know, you um, you guys had something up recently and it said about a type six blind spot. And, it, and I screenshotted this and sent it to my husband immediately because it said, you magnify dangers and negative outcomes causing unnecessary fear and anxiety. Your need for certainty can make you controlling and overprotective. You begin to doubt yourself and question your allies, ultimately causing the abandonment you fear. What stood out to me the most in this thing was it says that um, your need for certainty can make you controlling and overprotective. Mm. Um, I see that in my parenting. Um, I see that in, um, we just went through a situation where someone in our house got COVID. Mm. And so what that did, obviously that person was sick. It was, you know, they, they're fine now. But what it did is it, it changed all of our lives because for 14 days, everyone had to quarantine. Yeah. And so- I read this in the middle of that and I thought, this is what I'm doing. My, I'm fearful. I'm anxious. I have no control over the situation. And so now I'm becoming over-controlling, over-protective. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's like, we don't like you, mom. Like, I don't <laughs> understand why you're acting this way. So I see that a lot in my life. Um, the fear of abandonment. I mean, I think back when I'm a kid, the number one thing that I remember um, of like a feeling growing up was this constant fear that my dad was going to die. And I don't know if that's a common fear for kids. Maybe it is. I don't know that any of my kids have said that to me, but I had this constant fear that he would be gone. And then I got married and yet I had a constant fear that Aaron would be gone. Um, 
And then even as, even in our early married years, I mean, I was going to be the best wife you'd ever seen. Um, I was going to be loyal to him. I was going to do whatever he wanted. I was going to be a yes woman, like yes to whatever. Yes, yes, yes. I'm like, I'm going to be the best. And it wasn't because I wanted to be an awesome wife. It's because I didn't want Aaron to leave me. Sure. And so I look back at those years of our marriage and from the outside, even the inside, it seemed great. But everything I did was just so that he, it was a fear of, he's going to leave. He's, mm. he's, he's going to find someone else. And so I look back at those seasons and think, man, that was exhausting for me. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't out of love. It wasn't like this overflowing of a loving wife. It was an overflow of a very fearful and anxious wife of her husband choosing another woman. And yeah. so I, I've seen it come up in so many different areas and I've seen so much growth. I still think I'm an awesome wife, uh, mm-hmm. but it's because it's out of overflow of love. It's not mm-hmm. an overflow of fear anymore. And I, that's be, just because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to work in my life. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that come to mind for me, because I, I spend a lot of my life thinking about what would happen if Beth were to die, if one of our team members were to leave, where like there's this... Beth sometimes talks about the street smart of a six. Like we're scrappy. We're, we're survivalist. Mm-hmm. But it's all because we're afraid that people are going to leave. And mm-hmm. so I spend so much time thinking about, well, I need to learn how to do this. I need to learn how to do this. I need to know about this situation because I can't be fully at rest with things are going to be fine and Beth is going to be around or our team members are going to be well, around. Especially like, you know, one of our biggest stories that we talk about is, you know, our conflict um, like style is I withdraw, whether mm-hmm. it's I, you know, like visually kind of stay present, but I shut down. Or I'll leave, you know, because I don't want conflict as a nine. And the thoughts that would come into your mind immediately were, this must be the beginning of the end, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. that was the last thing I was thinking. I just couldn't handle all the conflict and the tension. But that just brought up so much fear in you of, I've got to fix this now, which of course, Mm -hmm. then he would pursue me even more, which on one side is really sweet. On the other side is a nine that's like, please stop. (laughs) (laughs) But that really helped us. So how much do you think of your future vigilance in thinking through scenarios is related to just the fear that you're going to be alone or abandoned. We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90 minute sessions and there's eight of them. Plus you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. 
I do that a lot with my family. I mean, when you were talking about that, I, I don't think I've ever even told Aaron this, but there's not a time that if Aaron's out with a kid, two kids, three kids, we have four kids. If he's out with any of our kids, I don't think there's ever a time that I don't for about, I don't know, 90 seconds, imagine what my life would look like if him and those kids were gone. Mm. Because it's just this fear of they're going to get in a car accident and then I will only have one kid or two kids. It it doesn't matter. And then I start to think, well, I can't live here because I don't, I can't take care of this house by myself. And then, well, we'd move to this neighborhood over here and we'd be fine. And the kids would be like that every time. And then I'm like, Like oh, it depends on which kid I'm left with. I've already bought another house in another neighborhood. (laughs) Yeah. Like with the money I'll make off of this. just a few seconds. 90 seconds. I'm done. (laughs) And then, I mean, the thing is. It's so it's not, I'm, I, I don't think I'm an anxious person. Aaron might disagree a little bit, but I don't feel like I walk around on a normal, typical day living in anxiety. I think that I just will spend maybe 90 seconds in anxiety. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then I can move on. And I don't know if that's just how I'm wired. I I think I've grown in that way. You Mm -hmm. you guys could probably explain that better to me, but so I don't, I don't sit around and, and people have asked me, How's COVID been for you in quarantine? Yeah. And honestly, I have I, those kind of things. I don't mm-hmm. know why I have zero anxiety over yeah. COVID and the world. Um, it's maybe things that are closer to me. And, mm-hmm. and and obviously we had COVID in our family. So it's not like we're immune to COVID, but it, that feels so big. Like maybe I have zero control over that, but I have a little control over my family. I think yeah. I do. I mean, and what we've you know seen is uh, just to kind of, step back just a little bit so we can enter that conversation is that there's a wide spectrum of sixes. There's what we call the phobic sixes all the way to the other side of the spectrum, which is counterphobic sixes. And anyone could be anywhere on that spectrum pretty much at any time, but usually a six will fall somewhere in that. And a phobic six are the the ones that think of those worst case scenarios um, and fears and they succumb to them. So they're experiencing and feeling it on a regular basis and they will avoid or try to fix or prevent those things, but with a heightened sense of anxiety and fear. Whereas all the way to the other side of the spectrum, the counterphobic sixes, they will feel that anxiety or think of something that produces anxiety or worry. And they're going to move into it very strongly. They're like, oh no, you're not going to control me. And so they, they look eight-ish. They look like an eight and they move forward with confidence on the outside. Now, people don't realize what's going on on the inside. So they appear very strong and confident people. And when people say that to them, because like Jeff is one also, they're like, wait, what? You see me as this really strong and confident person? Like, do you have any idea what's going on on the inside? And they don't, you know? Um, And so does that resonate with you? Oh my gosh, you guys, you guys have put on events and you know, pre 2020, I would put on two events a year that were, that were fairly large. And I remember the very first one I put on, I did it all by myself. I didn't have a team. This was years ago, early in my podcast days. And I did it in my backyard, you know, Mm -hmm. sold, you know, 50 tickets and it sold out in like a minute and a half. I mean, it was, and I'm just sitting here going, oh my gosh. And so that was a huge success, right? Yeah. Six months later, it comes time to do another one. And I just think, I don't know if anyone will come. I don't think we should do this. <laughs> this is like, I, I don't know. And at that point I had someone helping me and they're like, Jamie, th- you did one in your backyard and it sold out in a minute and a half. I might be making a minute and a half up. It sold out pretty quick guys. Let's say, let's say 10 minutes. Okay. Um, and she's like, you can do this. And so I like, you know, 
did it again. And there we go. We sold out again. And so I'm telling you when next year in 2021, when we do an event, Lord willing, I will think when we push send on the tickets available, no one will show up. Yep. Mm. And I forget the history. You know, yeah. I forget the success. I forget the accomplishments. And I still think, I don't know if anyone's going to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and, and, and know, that's really did. that's really regular for the six because they're th- they're thinking ahead for the present moment. So they're really living like the present, but they have to predict enough in the future so that they know if they're secure or not in the present moment. But they don't look back. I mean, Jeff and I talk about this all the time. You know, he rarely looks back and sees what good has come to bring it into the moment. Now, I think over the course of the last couple of years, because now we have a lot more data and analytics and things that we can kind of look to and, and go, oh, this is how it went back then. This is what we can expect. Of course, then once you again hit send, it's like, but what could happen, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I feel like, you know, it's exactly what you experience. Um, and affirmation is actually really hard for sixes. So it's hard for them to receive it. It's hard for them to give it to themselves um, because they're constantly thinking of, but what could happen? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will take that as negative or pessimistic, whereas the sixes will see that as, well, no, I'm just in reality. You know, I'm just dealing yeah. with, with what's really happening here. I, I remember when I read... Um, uh, Brennan Manning's book, Abba's Child, and he wrote a letter to his false self. And I noticed that I had this pattern in of thought regarding the future or whatever I may be facing, or even a compliment from someone else. It would start with, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? And so I ended up naming this part of this inner critic, Buddy, because Buddy mm. has been there forever. Even as a kid, I can remember with uh, my mom was ill and so she wasn't uh, a present, an emotionally present parent. And my dad um, was a very quiet nine, very reserved, uh, kind, but he didn't engage a lot with what was actually happening in the interior of my world. And so I became my own parent and, and Buddy was always there helping me to survive. And he's there, even if I were from doing a podcast, speaking an event, or preaching a sermon, Buddy is, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? Well, and I don't yeah, know if yeah. this is how it is for you, Jamie, and your husband, because he's a three. And so he's probably a great encourager, um, like a natural gift. But Jeff, like, I'll, he'll say, okay, well, how, how did that go? Like when I spoke or whatever, and this is early in our marriage. And, I'm, and as a nine, I'm like, I thought it was great. I loved it. And he's like, no, really? And I'm like, what do you want me to say? Like, I really thought it was great. Did you ever find that hard, at least early in marriage of receiving the compliments? Um, I still find that hard a little bit. Um, uh, because, I'll, you know, Aaron always says I downplay my success. If someone's like, hey, tell us like what you do. He's always like, well, let me do it because she's not going <laughs> to tell you. Um, and the reason there, I, I know why I don't um, is because uh, I don't want, I don't want them to think that I think I'm more than I am, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yes. And so like, I, I'm fearful that they'll be like, oh, she is, you know, she is proud and she is, uh, you know, um, full of herself. And it, when it could just be saying, here's what I do in life, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, those receiving compliments, it feels difficult sometimes because I, I often think like, 
oh, but you don't, you didn't see the bad stuff. Like you mm-hmm. didn't see how, how I messed up or you didn't see the other stuff. So to me, it feels like you haven't seen the whole picture. So mm-hmm. thank you for your compliment. Let me go ahead and tell you all the ways I've screwed up. And then you can see if you still want to throw out your compliment. So yeah. I don't know if that's a sixth thing or not, but that's how I feel sometimes. I, I think it is. And I can remember, uh, oh, I can't remember what years it was when I was taking some training with Dan Allender, a Christian psychologist, author, and teacher. And he, um, he said, we train people as to how to treat us. And I find myself trying to lower expectations so that people don't think as much of me, or mm-hmm. at least think the same way that I think about myself. Yeah. I'm much more comfortable with that. But then like, I, you know, my family is such a gift to me because they're, they're very disruptive with their kindness and affirmation. Like they don't let me get by with it. Yeah. And now our YEC team is that way where uh, they kind of help me move out of the self-doubt and trying to minimize expectations to be able to affirm what genuinely is a gift that God has given me that is a blessing to others. I think I see that too in myself. Like my husband's a three, my right-hand girl is a three. Um, And they kind of have this way of helping me see. um, I mean, I I see the bigger picture, so that's not a problem so much, but they help me see the, like I will come in and see all of the things Mm -hmm. that could be wrong with this or reasons that we shouldn't do this. But I mean, I am a visionary, so that's not missing, but they help reassure me like, Jamie, like you actually can do this. Here's how you're talented in this. And like your history shows like you can do this. Look what what you've been doing for the past six years. And then I'll be like, oh yeah, you're right. That's Mm -hmm. true. I can do this. I have done this. I did start something, all those things. Yeah. Those things get lost on me a little bit because I'm just looking at the things that could go wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a week or two weeks or a year. And that's what's so powerful. I think about the Enneagram because that's going to be your thing until you go to heaven. Like you'll have moments of growth and like, I can do this and you're going to push forward. And then you're going to have that same thought again over and over. And so for us to one, speak the truth and the gospel to ourselves daily is so important, but to have others come alongside us and not be like, why are you doing this again? Like, why are you thinking that way? We talked about this, you know, but to say, Hey, we get you. We we know this is a pattern and we'll be here to encourage you. We'll be here to show you so that you can stay on the path God is calling you to. That's just so important. And it brings empathy, it brings compassion, but we have to do it not only for others, but definitely for ourselves. And with that, let's transition into how Christ satisfies our core longing. So six is long to hear that you're safe and secure. And so the two points that we usually point out is that God is all powerful and that we are safe in his care. Um, and then the Holy Spirit gives clarity and certainty in a confusing and chaotic world. How has the gospel really helped you to look at yourself as a six and to bring that truth so that you can experience, you know, kind of radical freedom and transformation that you hadn't experienced before? Yeah, two things come to mind. Number one, the first one is for me to believe in the sovereignty of God, for me to actually really believe that God has all things. He's in control of all things. He created all things. He knows all things. Um, That brings me comfort when my mind goes places that are scary and fearful is that God is not surprised. So these things that I'm trying to, like, I think I don't want to be surprised by things. And so I'm always thinking about what could happen because I don't want to be surprised either. You know, I think I heard someone say one time, like in a crisis, a six is great because they've already planned it out. They've been there, done that in their head a thousand times. Right. So, um, 
I want that control, but I have to remember that God is actually in control. The second thing that I think of is a friend told me years ago, I was talking about something about, I think it was about one of my kids dying. Like I was fearful of that. And, and, um, I spent many years of, it wasn't 90 seconds, Jeff. It was like a long time Mm. of me worrying about this. And she said to me, she said, Jamie, if you take it all the way to the end, like your child does get leukemia, Mm -hmm. you battle it for years and they end up dying. She said, take it all the way. And what is still true? And I listed Mm -hmm. about all the things like God is still good. He still loves me. He loves my child. I I listed about all these things that are still true. And that actually is comforting to me, um, believe it or not, because I choose to because I see it in scripture and because I felt it before. So I have this past history that I actually believe in that um, when crisis hits, that God is still good and mm-hmm. he's still faithful and he's still with me and he'll never leave me. So my fear of Aaron leaving me, okay, if he did, um, if he died, you know, like I, God is still with me, like God is not going to leave me. And so standing on those truths as a six who goes through those fears in her minds a lot at the end of the day, I can think about it for 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. I can believe that God is still good. He's still true. He hasn't left me. And then I can carry on. And that yeah. is really kind of the cycle that my brain goes through. Yeah. Well, so you just wrote a book. It just released. And you probably, even though you're a great six, did not plan that it would come out in a pandemic and a crazy <laughs> election year. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Nobody did. But in saying that, um, tell us more about how your book and your work is a culmination of the transformation that Christ has been doing in your own life as a six. Yeah. The book is called UBU and it it stems from this idea of that God actually created each person individually with gifts and talents and voices and influence. And he wants you to be you, the person he created you to be. Um, It's hard right now when we can see everything online, we can see everyone's, you know, we can quote unquote, see their whole life because we know that that's not true. Um, We can start to believe that, 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 that God loves them more. God gave them better gifts. God gave them better influence, fill in the blank you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have at times in my life thought that, I mean, we all have, that's, that's, that's not a, this is a, this is an idea that everyone has had to deal with at one point or another. And so for me, the growth that I've had is to really trusting God mm-hmm. that, that my gifts matter today and tomorrow, and that I can trust him with what he's given me. And I don't have to be fearful that, that she has these amazing gifts. So she's going to succeed. And mm-hmm. ugh, mine are kind of lame. Like I have a gift of talking into a microphone. Ooh, how's that going to work out for me? You know? And so just trusting that God is in that. That's what I want for people as they read this book is to yeah. trust whatever God's given you, whatever gifts he has. And, you know, speaking of the Enneagram, that's not in the book, but if you were to think about the Enneagram, like, man, I think a lot of people, you guys could probably attest to this, would think, I would rather be this number. Like, I don't like the way that I was created. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, there's so much beauty in the way that God crafted every single person as an individual. And there's so much good in every single person's personality. Um, There are hard things about all of our personalities. Anyone that's married knows that, you know, (laughs) I can tell you all the hard things about Aaron's personality. Um, But God is so good and gracious to us that he allows the Holy Spirit to work in us. And we don't have to just be like, well, this is just who I am. And so I hope my book encourages people um, to trust that God made them to be exactly who they are. Yeah. And and so what, what about your journey in that? I mean, obviously you've had to get to that point. I mean, of course it's still in progress <laughs> until we're in yeah. heaven. Yeah. But has that been a hard process for you to get to that? 
it was hard early on because this career that you see that I have was kind of an accident. I mean, I, 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 I was in radio for a hot second in 2011. And that's kind of where I thought, oh, I like this. I started my podcast in 2014. And it wasn't, I, I, I didn't start a podcast for it to be a job. I didn't start it to make money. I didn't start it because I had a message. I just wanted to talk to my friends like I did in radio and put it out there. And so when the podcast started to become successful, I all of a sudden went, okay, wait, I don't actually know how to do this. Like, I don't know how to do successful podcasts. I know how to do, this is just fun. I edited, it sounds awful podcast. Um, and so I had to deal with, okay, well, maybe if I was more like her, mm-hmm. this will work. Or if I took some of what she's doing, this would work. When I started, you know, people would invite me to the churches to, to teach. And I would think, oh, man, I have some really good friends who are amazing Bible teachers. I don't know why they asked me. Like, I, I literally don't know why they asked me. And maybe I should just watch her and try to be more like her. God has done a wonder on me in the past seven years of saying, they invited you because they want you. Mm. They listen to your podcast because they like you. They are reading your books because they want to hear what you have to say. And so stop trying to think you need to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm grateful for that journey because I'm way more confident now in myself than yeah. I ever have been. Um, and I feel like it's a it's exhausting trying to be somebody else. It's it exhausting. Is. And it's not even rewarding yeah. because you're like, well, I have to keep this up. I can't even do this. It's not yeah. who I am. So yeah. people, they're not going to resonate with it because it's not true and it can't be it can't sustain itself so and they want to resonate with her guess what they could go listen to her right that's, <laughs> yeah. you know like and Absolutely. i love her you know they're all my friends so i'm Absolutely. just saying it's it just be the person that god made you to be i remember a pastor and mentor friend uh bob smart is at christ church where we served for a number of years but he he said we don't like glory we don't like god's glory and we don't like our own and i understand that we're both you know, sinful creatures. And yet we've also been made and created in the image of God. But the two things that we end up doing is treating our own giftedness, our own glory with contempt. And then we move to comparison and trying to find some attribute in someone else. But even that doesn't exist. We're we're only seeing, I remember Beth talked, we're talking in seminary where she was around all these young moms, uh, all these people go into seminary and she put together a superwoman, like the, the best attribute of every woman. And that's the mom. She, well, that mom doesn't exist. That person exactly. doesn't exist. And so we, we can actually, it's, it's a little bit of a, a yellow flag, a warning sign that if, if we're experiencing personal contempt or uh, self-centered contempt, or there's comparison happening, whether that's lifting people up or putting people down, you know, we're not aligned with the truth of the gospel and there's no life there. The spirit doesn't yeah. participate in that. Right. And that's, you know, that's, you know, what I love about the Enneagram is because what we can see is that God created all nine types. And when we are aligned with the truth of the gospel, we will represent Christ in the fullness of who he is and that will bless mm-hmm. others. And so that's where we keep coming back to him and surrender and depend and just ask him without you, I cannot transform. I cannot grow. And he is faithful to work in and through us. Um, and then one day, we will see him and, you know, experience the fullness of all of it. But, um, but until then, I just want to say thank until you. Until then. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for just being so open and transparent. I think this will be so beneficial for other sixes, but also those that are, you know, connected with sixes and, you know, friendships or family work, um, just to understand, you know, what is going on in the interior world of a six so that they can move towards with love and compassion and kindness. So. Anyway, thanks for coming. Thank you guys for having me. Jamie, thanks. 
Our second guest today is Allie Worthington. Allie is a wife and a mom of five boys, and they live outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Allie is the best-selling author, speaker, and podcaster as she hosts the weekly Allie Worthington Show, where she interviews friends she likes to learn from. She's also a business coach and finds joy in helping other women find their calling. Her latest book, Standing Strong, is a guide to overcoming adversity and living with confidence. Hey, Allie, how are you doing? Hey, Beth, it's great to be with you. I'm doing great. It's so fun to finally be with you on my podcast because I've been on two of your podcasts. So now we get to kind of switch it around and I get to interview you. So I'm so excited to just get the perspective of a seven who's growing in their likeness um, in Christ. So why don't we just start by hearing your story, your journey with the Enneagram and when you found it and what that was like to discover you were a type seven. I was on a plane going to Seattle for a speaking event, May of 2017, I believe. It was the book, The Road Back to You. Yeah. Things were picking up with the Enneagram and broader culture. You know, people Uh like you have been experts for a long time. And people would say, oh, I know you're a three. You're such a three. You are the perfect three. And I would go, oh, okay, I guess I'm a three, whatever a three is. And I took the ready Enneagram test. Yep. And in true seven form, I think I kind of skimmed it and went, eh, okay. Hmm. I, I don't think I, I'm seven, whatever seven is, but there's a lot of pages here and I'll come back to it later. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't until I got the book, I was on a plane, I was able to focus on it and I read what is healthy for a seven and what environments are unhealthy for a seven and, and what's, what makes up a seven. And I flew across country and cried on the plane. Cause I knew oh. everything, especially professionally, everything that I was doing in that season of life wasn't working for me at all. It was mm. sucking the life out of me. And I went, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm a seven. Mm. And that started the journey to read everything I could. And, um, understand the Enneagram so I could be self-aware so I could quit beating myself up and trying to put myself in situations where I wasn't going to thrive. Cause that's yeah. what I was doing, at least in that point of my life professionally. Wow. That is so, I mean, isn't that amazing how we look around us and we see how everyone else does life and we think we need to fit into that box, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about the Enneagram because it says, this is how God created you. Now on this side of the fall, there are things, yeah, that we do within our type that really hinders us and our relationships. But when we get to understand, oh, but this is what it looks like to be the healthiest version of myself in the way that God created me. And if I can lean into that, if I can press into that and pray and let the Holy Spirit work in and through me, so much richness comes forth to bless others, to glorify God and to bless ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And on the plane, on that trip, and in the months after when I started studying Enneagram, it was such a relief that the things that were different about me weren't wrong. Yes. And so many people I've talked to, they go, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. This is this is how God created me. And God yeah. created me with these gifts and these talents and um, and this personality type. And what a relief it is to unlock that. Mm, I love that. Okay, so do you have a story of when you were younger that you can think back? And we kind of talked about this before we got on the air. So just kind of I'll, I'll kind of preface this for our audience, because 
I think where people would naturally go for a seven is what were you like as a child as a seven? And then everyone's thinking, oh, I was so fun and like, you know, hyper and silly and all these things. And when I first asked you that question, you're like, I don't have a story. And then you kind of explained a few things and I'm like, well, what about the longing that you'll be taken care of? That's your core longing. And I think you were able to kind of think through that a little bit. So can you expound on maybe a story or, or so about being a seven, even from that perspective? Yeah. So my, my childhood, as we discussed a little bit before, it was a tough one. My dad passed away when I was three. I grew up in poverty. I grew up in constant state of lack. Um, (laughs) it was rough, rough years and never truly feeling like I was going to be taken care of. And so when I look back on myself as a child, it definitely wasn't the life of the party. It was someone sad because I couldn't bring people to my house who always felt kind of on the outside. And, and what I longed for was to be taken care of. I, I longed for a suburban home and a happy family. And I ended up getting married and having my first son at 22 and ended up in 10, nine and a half years having five sons. Mm. So I joke that I, when I wanted a family, I went big, you know, yeah. and um, I wanted to be taken care of. I had no idea what I was doing at the time. I kind of, I, I joked with a counselor once that I was probably trying to create what I always wanted when I was growing up. Yeah. Now, my husband and I couldn't have imagined 24 years ago that the way we started with us getting married and me going, you know what? I just want to be a stay home mom and have a million children. Let's go. We couldn't have imagined where life would take us now where I'm the breadwinner of the family and, and, you know, I'm the one taking care of everybody. Um, but that's when I look back on it, that's so clearly what I wanted and what I needed because I never had it when I was younger. Yes. And that's what I love. Cause like when I'm coaching people, it's so interesting what they think is supposed to come out, you know, like you kind of thought, well, I don't have a seven story. And yet that's a perfect seven story. So many kids grow up not in, you know, luxury and have all these things. And, and in fact, even if they did, they still are longing for more because the seven at the core feels like there's this insatiable desire to fill themselves up. But yours was really and truly that real struggle, you know, with the dynamics that were playing out with your family. And so I just love that people get to hear that and how it manifests then when we're an adult. Usually we're going to try to go against what we didn't have if we were lacking. And that's exactly what you did. And the Lord provided and and let you expand what you were offered um, as a kid. That's just such a beautiful story. Well, let's dive into the core motivations of a seven, because there might be people out there that are like, well, really, what is a seven or what's going on? And remember, the Enneagram is all about why you do uh, what you do, why you think, feel and behave in particular ways. So we have four core motivations. The core fear for the seven is they're constantly trying to prevent or avoid being deprived, limited, trapped in emotional pain, bored, and definitely missing out on something fun or exciting. That is their core fear. Now, their core desire, what they're striving for, like life will be perfect if I have this, is when they feel happy, fully satisfied, and content. But they struggle with the core weakness of gluttony. Now, gluttony here isn't just about food. This is that they feel this 
insatiable desire and a great emptiness inside to fill themselves up with stimulation, experiences, fun, all in hopes to finally feel completely satisfied and content. So just from that, like what are some thoughts or stories or things that come to mind um, being a seven and having those core motivations? Well, I love it that you talk about core motivations because that's, that's what showed me that I wasn't a three, you know, a three wants to achieve. I, I don't, I, I don't care about achieving. I care about making sure that, that we're okay. Mm-hmm. And so professionally, what's pushed me is how do I make sure my family's okay? In 2014, my husband got sick. And so my role was caretaker for him as well as breadwinner for the family. So I wake up every day going, okay, I need to make sure we're okay. Mm-hmm. And, and it plays on that core fear of what if we're not going to be okay? Yep. And it actually has led me to gluttony in my work. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of making sure that we're okay, but I definitely see the gluttony in the desire for fun. Um, I mean, I may, I may have had, it's 8am, but I may have had five candy corn pumpkins before we got on the call. So I'm not (laughs) saying it's not food too. Um, But uh, if I, but I've channeled it into things that, that are actually healthy for the family. So I'm an amusement park person. We go, we ride all the roller coasters. I'm a movie person. Uh, you know, we set up a home theater at home. So I love the fun. I love distraction, but I'm careful to channel it in ways that are going to be helpful or beneficial or fun for the family, as opposed mm. to ways that won't be. Right. And that's what I love about doing the Enneagram from a gospel-centered perspective, because people will say, or they'll look at their type and they're like, oh, well then... I shouldn't want fun, you know, or they, they kind of think somehow they're wrong or bad. I'm like, no, God created you to be a seven, but how can we do these same things in a, an aligned way, aligned with the truth of the gospel versus being out of alignment, doing it our way versus the way that will glorify God and bless others. When we do it that way, then we get to reap the benefits. If we do it our way, then there's consequences and we think it's going to work out and then it doesn't, right? Um, now, so what is it like for you with being a mom and being a seven and having five boys? What does that look like? It was a grind in the early years when they were so young. I didn't realize what a grind it was because, you know, when your kids are little, you love them and you're just getting through every day trying to survive. But now that they're older as a seven it's amazing because mm. we go and do, I mean, 2020 has been rough on everybody, but right. <laughs> we go and do fun things and we have bonfires in the backyard and we watch movies and, and we're always trying to create, well, but I, some of the boys and I are always trying to create fun. I have other boys whose personalities aren't interested in having fun. Like that mm-hmm. stresses them out. So mm-hmm. I try to be really intentional as a seven, not to not to spend too much time with my kids that align with my personality and find other ways to connect with those. Because if I have um, more serious or kind of pensive children, mm-hmm. I have to be really intentional to make sure that I'm connecting with them and not just planning adventures with the ones that like adventures. Absolutely. And that's what I love so much also about the Enneagram is Mm -hmm. we get to own who we are as parents and we get to enjoy the blessings that that might have on our kids. At the same time, we try to make little us's, you know, like a little seven or a little nine, you know, because we think, hey, you know, why don't you want to be like me? Let's go have fun all the time, you know, or for me as a nine, like 
don't you all want to sit by a fire and like just chill all the time? And if I had a type seven child, you know, they're going to be like, no, I don't want to just sit and be cozy all the time. I want to go and do. And I love hearing how you stretch yourself for the sake of your kids, because, you know, God, you know, calls us to um, raise them in the bent that they will go the way that God created them. And it's really on us as parents to one, give the best of who we are, but also how can we lean into who God has created them to be? Mm-hmm. Has it been hard for you as a mom to kind of um, lean into some of their types? Well, as soon as they get old enough for me to type them, I have two a 22-year-old who's an eight, a 19-year-old mm-hmm. that's a six, the 16-year-old, he's going to get the test soon. I haven't given him the test. I have my ideas. But it's been especially helpful with my eight because an eight doesn't you know, there, there's ways to engage with an eight in the best way. And there's, and when my sixth son comes to me and he wants to talk about things, maybe he has an anxiety about something or wants to, wants to talk about, I understand this is, this is the personality that God has given him. Uh, And of course this is his bent. And with my son, that's an eight, I respect it. And I know he's, you know, he's a challenger. He's going to be a world changer. Um, but I can't expect certain things from him that I expect from other children. Right. So it's really taken a lot of the pressure, I think, off the kids and off of me. Mm-hmm. Also for my husband, I know my husband's a three. And I know that he needs to hear when he makes dinner that it was the world's best achievement. We've <laughs> right. <ever> yeah. experienced. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. That's great. So let's go back to the core longing. So the message our heart longs to hear, which for the seven again is, you would love to hear you'll be taken care of. And you struggled feeling that um, as a child, definitely. And then, you know, it's something that on this side of heaven, we're never going to fully experience. But by nature, as humans, we're trying to get it from some place. You know, it could be our work, Mm -hmm. it could be our family, it could be our spouse, friends, you know, food, you know, whatever it is, but we'll always not be fully satisfied, no matter what type you are, with whatever longing you have. But the great news of the gospel is that Christ has already satisfied our core, our core longing. So as a seven who wants to hear you'll be taken care of, there's two points that I usually bring up for the seven that I'd love to hear your response to. So the gospel really shows us for the sevens how Christ has, number one, completely satisfied and or he gives you a complete satisfaction and a content heart because he is your portion and your fill. He is that spring of living water that is right there, right before you. All you need to do is lap it up and drink as much as you want to be satisfied and fully content. It's fresh. It's it's ever flowing. It it never ends. It is just so abundant. And so that you can be drink until you are just completely satisfied. And then the second thing is that your needs are taken care of. I mean, this is God Almighty, King of the universe. Not only are your needs not a problem to Him, but He delights in taking full care of you as the Good Shepherd. So in hearing that, what is that? How does that land on you and your heart as a seven? It, it so resonates. And you know, I, I write books and out of my four books, two of my books have had a theme in my stories of me being afraid that God wasn't going to take care of me, mm. especially this this past book. That's my struggle. And it's funny because I, I go through it over and over and over again. I learn the lesson 
that he is telling me, I'm here for you. You can trust me. I'm not going to let you down. I'm not going to abandon you. And yet there's something in me. I think this side of heaven, I, I tear up when I talk about it. It may always be a little bit broken. And I may have to learn that lesson with him over and over again, with sometimes him putting me in positions where I have to uh, learn how to trust him all over again, sometimes me putting myself in positions. But I think that one of the key threads of my life is me going, God, are you, are you really going to take care of me? And him saying, yes, let's go through this again. And he's so patient and he's so gracious. And he takes me through it over and over and over again, where I can relearn that he is good and trustworthy and will take care of me. But give me a couple of years and I'm going to need to learn the lesson again. Oh, absolutely. And I and <laughs> like, and I think about mine too. It's the same thing. It's like a, you know, I think, um, I think it was Martin Luther says that, you know, we need to teach ourselves the gospel every day, you know, yeah. because every day we forget. And the Enneagram helps each of the types to know what the gospel message they keep forgetting. Because mm. I might not struggle as much with the message you long to hear, and you may not struggle with the message I long to hear. And all of the gospel truth is gospel truth. So, you know, the message you need to hear is just as much as something I need to hear too and know. But for some reason, I'm being blocked to not hear mine or feel mine as easily as other messages that I hear. And so same with you. That's why we have to keep relearning this same message because we have this hard wiring, kind of like a record player. And I know all the young people are like, what's a record? <laughs> Just go with me. <laughs> but we have a needle in our record player that's going around and around in a false groove, a false message. Mm -hmm. And the false message for the seven is, I'm not being taken care of. What, what can I do? And so then the seven tries to uh, make it happen themselves through, it could oh, be yeah. fun experiences or new things or adventures or creativity or like even the workplace, let's try this. We could try that. We could do this. We could do that. And all of those things are beautiful things when aligned with the truth of the gospel. But when they're not aligned, when, we, when we're trying to do in our own strength, then it can create problems. And so these messages that our heart longs to hear, we will constantly daily have to remind ourselves. And I think what a blessing that God has given you that your books are a, a beautiful reflection of your heart's cry and how he moves towards you in that and continues to uh, lavish on you the message that you will, you will and are being taken care of by your good shepherd. Would you agree? Oh yeah. And amazing enough, he continually pushes me to go into situations in life where I have to depend on him. This last yes. book was a lot of it was about him pushing me to leave what seemed like a dream job and start my business up from scratch again after I had closed it down and me wrestling with, am I, am I going to obey him? Do I, do I trust him to provide everything that he says he's going to provide? And I have this family and a husband who needs me and all of these things. And it was a mess in the middle mm -hmm. of it, if, I, if I'm just being honest. But what did he do? He proved himself faithful and trustworthy in that he will do what he says he's going to do. And when he leads us in a certain direction, he will take care of us. And in that, so this is what I love, is that in that you leaned into your fear by trusting yeah. him. And 
don't you feel like this is, and this is probably how it is with your business and my business because of, of what God is doing in our life. But I feel like every time I'm teaching something or I'm going to do something new, I have to learn the lesson first. <laughs> It's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> right? It's like, okay, we're going to talk on like, let's say, um, what was one thing we did earlier? I think it was like superpowers, blind spots, you know, and oh, like no. my blind spot was like right in my face, like that whole week or two before. And I'm like, really? Do I have to, you know, but at the same time, <laughs> as much as we don't enjoy that, it is his sweet provision to walk us mm-hmm. through it, to be humble, to to go before others that we love and care for, um, to say, I've been there too. I've had that struggle. And here's what God taught me. Here's how he moved towards Mm me. And that's really what I'm hearing from you is that by faithfully leaning into what we don't want to lean into, he keeps stretching you, which stretching isn't fun, but in that stretching, you're growing. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. With, with each of my books, I always ask him, what's the next book about? Mm. And I almost always go, Oh, I don't either. I don't want to talk about that or I don't have a problem with that, but okay, I'll research it for other people. And then he'll (laughs) send me through a season where I have to go through it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm actually in that process now with my next book. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, uh Oh, good luck, sis. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, is there anything that you would love others to know just about being a seven and the highs, the, the, the beautiful spots that you really feel God has blessed you with when your heart is aligned with him that, cause you know, there's other sevens out there that might be like, Oh, I'm a seven or I struggle with this. Like what are some, some hopes and some things that you can give them? I think that people think that sevens are always loud and boisterous and the life of the party. But what I've learned is a seven looks very different depending on who you are. So I'm, I tend to be more quiet and more reserved. Um, I'm definitely not somebody in in a party who's going to be the life of the party mingling with everyone. Um, So a seven looks different for the way in, in each person's life, but Sevens are remarkably resilient. We are the ones I was talking to someone recently and I said, you know, a, a, a flock of dinosaurs could come through the house and, um, and we'd be like, but I learned a lot about dinosaurs. My house is destroyed. You know, um, we're, we're pretty, that's one of the great things about being a seven is no matter how life knocks you down, we go, okay, we're going to dust ourselves off and get back up and look on the bright side and and let's yes. see what we can do with that. And I think sevens are thought of as relatively flaky, unfortunately. Right. Um, but there's great strength in a seven and great depth that sometimes people don't understand. Yeah. And I, I am so glad you brought that up because, you know, as an Enneagram coach, I really am trying so hard for people to look past stereotypes, all the mm. memes that are out there and the and, and not that some of those aren't funny, but I think what happens then is that people think that's what the Enneagram is and that's not what the yeah. Enneagram is. And that's, and people will think, oh, well, a seven is the life of the party or the, the loud one. And it's like, no, that's not true. And that's why you cannot type people based off behaviors because like people did with you, they will get it wrong. You've got to go back to those core motivations. And so for those yeah. of you that are like, well, what are the core motivations for all nine types? Um, we'll put it in the show notes, but go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash core motivations. And there's a free PDF download. 
And, you know, you remind me a lot of my dad. My dad is a seven. Um, he is a seven with a very strong six wing. And I don't know if you've landed on your wing, but I hear a lot from you of loyalty, taking care, being the part of that guardian, thinking mm-hmm. through what could go wrong. But the seven, so people are like, well, I hear that. I'm like, yeah, you hear that. But at the core, she's wanting to be taken care of. She is... Um, her natural defensive mechanism is positivity moving. Like we can do this, let's move forward. And so I love that you said that because not all sevens are going to be that way. My dad's not that way. Mm -hmm. He's very much more subdued and grounded, more introverted than most sevens. But at the end of the day, he is looking to be completely satisfied and fully content, um, just Mm -hmm. like a seven, but he might go about it differently than another seven who is loud and fun and the life of the party. And so for everyone out there, just let's get to the core motivations and see the person for who they really are, not some stereotypes that you might be conjuring up in your mind. Um, because this is a real person with real joys and pains, not just stereotypical behaviors. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. It's funny. I was, I was listening to you say, and I was like, yes, this is perfect, but I may or may not have a helium tank and confetti in my office at the same time. So (laughs) exactly. Right. (laughs) And that's, what's so great is like, we're, we're the Enneagram. What's so beautiful about it is it's fluid, right? Like it's not that we're just one dimensional or two dimensional. Like there's so many dimensions and layers that come up and, you know, are healthy and unhealthy and different all the time. But at the core is those core motivations that really are really the driving force of the person's personality. Mm -hmm. For me, the the message of um, the message your heart needs to hear, that's everything to Enneagram. As one thing, as a business coach, when I'm working with new clients, I always have them take the Enneagram and then put them on their own journey of self-awareness with it, but kind of force everyone to take the test. And, um, it's all, it always comes down to the message your heart needs to hear when people go, well, I tested this and tested this and I go, okay, let's talk about the message your heart needs to hear. And then I put them on, on the journey of their own self-awareness there. But I think that that's the deciding factor for so, so many of us. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, when the guy gave me that idea, um, cause someone else said the same thing and someone else cried when I was talking to them. I thought this is pretty dynamic. I need to really mm-hmm. focus in on this. And then that's when he showed me a oh, wait, but this is the same message that Christ came to satisfy for us, that we will look yeah. for other things apart from him, you know, because we're longing for it, but we've always got to come back to, he is the source. He's the one that replenishes us. Um, and once I saw that, I was like, this is the key. The master key that unlocks transformation is what do you long to hear and how is Christ satisfying that? And if we can come back to that each and every day, our hearts will be more and more aligned with the truth of the gospel and it transforms ourselves, our relationships, just about everything. Um, Well, thank you so much, Allie. Can you just tell us how your type and the work that you do, let everyone know just quickly what you do, where they can find you um, so that they can experience that beautiful sevenness that you have in the way that God has created you in the work that you do. 
The seven is definitely shows up in the work I do because I like to do a lot of things. So uh, first and foremost, I'm a business coach. I help people, women primarily run small businesses. And I'm also an author. As I mentioned before, I co-founded an organization called Called Creatives with Lisa Whittle. And we teach women who feel called to write and speak how to become speakers and be published authors. Um, And I have a podcast called The Allie Worthington Show. Yes. And I've been on it twice. <laughs> I yep. loved it. We had so much fun. Um, well, thank you so much for just being here, sharing your story. Um, I loved hearing just the rawness, the authenticity, the tears, because it really shows, you know, where God is meeting you at, you know, and what resonates uh, with you. So just thank you for being so uh, fully present with us today. You're such a beautiful person. And I'm just so thankful that you're with us. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks guys for joining us for this episode. And don't forget to check out our show notes to get to all of the resources that were mentioned in this episode. And please come back next week where we're going to continue this five-part series on the Enneagram and the gospel. We will be interviewing Joe Saxton, a type eight, and Carlos Whitaker, a type nine. And always remember, the Enneagram reveals our need for Jesus, not our need to work harder. It's the gospel that transforms us. 